0: Welcome to the Mike Much Podcast. I am your host, Mike Vierman, and I am here with my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max, what's going on?
1: Well, we hung out on uh, Friday. We did. We, we uh, went to the Dwayne Gretzky show in toronto at the phoenix it's true
0: uh you got up and sang mr jones by the counting crows
1: yeah so for our listeners who aren't gta based uh dwayne gretzky are like the best cover band maybe in the world and they're (laughs) old friends of mine one of them tyler lives in, in hamilton now and uh we've been friends for like 10 years now uh and it's funny because I think the idea of a cover bands are are not cool, really. Like they're, <laughs> they're not. But somehow Dwayne Gretzky has become like the coolest thing to do in Toronto on a Friday night. One thing I kind of want to talk about was, um, and and this sort of relate to the show a little bit, is uh, terrible news about Gord Downey. Yeah, uh, it's pretty it's pretty jarring news to hear something like that. I, and the thing. Cause I kind of want to talk about it with you, but I didn't – I think it's really – Alan Cross put up this thing of like the three the three rules around Gore Downey and one is don't eulogize him because he's not dead. I know. And I, I'm i glad somebody who has a voice and a platform said that. Well, uh, if you'd
0: read the CBC piece that I read, yeah. it felt like that, the way they were listing his life accomplishments. It was, it was a weird <sighs> article. Yeah, and –
1: um, hey, for some of our listeners, uh, Gord Downey sings with the Tragically Hip. Um, and you are a beloved Canadian rock and roll band. If you're maybe an American listener, that's you might not be quite as familiar. But I imagine if you're in Canada, you know exactly who he is. And the news came out um, a few days ago
0: that he has brain cancer. Yeah, and it's incurable. It's, and it's terminal. Yeah, terminal. Um, so anyway, you're saying don't eulogize the man. Yeah, which, which I out.
1: which I agree. And I think it's funny because it's like, obviously, you know, he's he and his family are dealt the shittiest hand ever right now and have to live with this and they, they have been living with it every day and everybody else is really f- bummed out about it too and it's just very sad but also it's like okay these this is the reality of the situation and how can you make the best of it because i think it's natural to and especially when you first get hit with the news to to wallow a little bit and just feel totally gutted and deflated and didn't really know what to do. So, so but I do think it is kind of nice to talk about it a little bit. And uh, for the band, for Arkell's just a little background is we we've uh, recorded at the tragically hip studio. Our our second record Michigan left was recorded there. We've also uh, toured with the hip. We did a whole Canadian tour back in 2012. Uh, And the thing which is pretty amazing about, Downey, especially, and that band is when you're sort of like uh, the top dog in the game. It's very easy for people to talk shit about you. Like yeah. be, it's very easy to be cynical about whoever's at the top. Go, oh well, they're actually not that good. Yeah, you know? they're an asshole. There or are, they're, they're assholes. Or they've had overrated good luck or sure. overrated or whatever. Uh, Downey has sort of been unanimously respected. And like beloved, basically, even from the artistic community, which yeah. is really interesting, um, which says a lot about him as a songwriter and as a performer. That even the cool kids, the the cynical, ironic types, have no choice but to respect the amazing work he's he's put in, like yeah. you know, for the last thirty years.
0: What, did you have much interaction with Gord when you're on tour?
1: Um, just a little bit. Um, you know, when you're doing a kind of a big arena tour, we. It's sort of it is a sort of a very reg- regimented day. And, um, and so they'd sound check and then go off and do the thing and we'd sound check. But, uh, we did hang out on a few, few occasions on that tour. And yeah, just like, like everybody else has said about Gord is he's a very, uh, kind of interested, uh, kind of sweet wise person to hang out with. And, you know, he's, uh, he'll, he'll tell stories and he'll listen to what you have to say, um, and I think my favorite recollection, and, I've, and you know, I've thought about this because what makes the hip such an amazing band is that they bring it every single night, and Downey brings it every single night. He does not take a show off, he is always thinking about how do I put on the best performance. And we were having a conversation, and he was telling me a story about driving around Prince Edward County, which is where the hip studio is, mm. and it's near Kingston and uh, driving around on one of these dirt roads with his son in the passenger seat, and they were listening to The Who together. And he said, when you listen to The Who, you got to turn it all the way up, because when you get to that peak, that climax of the song, when Daltrey just goes... (coughs) and he screams he's like there's nothing like it and he and he was t- saying this to me and I was totally enthralled with the story and I was like this is a great image to think about you and your son and you introducing your son to rock and roll the music that meant a lot to you anyway a few nights later he during the middle because one of his famous downy rants uh, he he tells that story to the crowd <laughs> and I just love it that he was sort of I don't know if it came up naturally with me and then it just made it into the set or if he is workshopping it on me. <laughs> Either way, though, I, I was just like, now that's the way to do it. That's what makes him great is that he's always thinking about how what he's, what he's going to bring to the next show, which is what he has in common with all the great performances. How do you make each show really special? So actually, the reason, uh, sorry, why the segue I was trying to make with um, the Dwayne Gretzky show is that they covered Bob Cajun. Yes. And... I had uh, like a body buzz just watching everybody sing along and that lyric that night in Toronto. Yeah. It was, it was a moment. It man. was a f- moment. And apparently the night, the next night, uh, Hey Rosetta, our friends, were playing at the CBC Music Festival at Echo Beach in Toronto and they did A Head by a Century. And, and apparently everybody sort of just had the same reaction. It was just a real moment. And yeah, and I was listening to their greatest hits. And it's so funny because... Uh, They have so many great songs, obviously, but the songs are weird songs. Like, I mean, (laughs) the band is sort of a ruckus bar band and that's, but just opposed to Downey's soulful poet. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing which which I kind of love about the fact that they're such a big band and that he's such a beloved lyricist and a personality is that. Most people don't even know what the f*** he's talking about. <laughs> like, he has amazing one-liners. Yeah. But if you were to sort of, and like, and he does have amazing themes to his songs, but if you were to try to, like, follow up a narrative in his music, and that's not really what he does, but it just like, I, I just, like, like the idea that Downey has, <laughs> has sort of imposed this, like, artfulness to, to the lyricism of pop rock music and has Canada singing along to it. Like, you know, in a genre that it's pretty easy to be kind of like bland and not really say much. And he's sort of, he's imposing this art into it, which, yeah. which I which I really think is very impressive. What are your thoughts on the
0: tour? They're going out.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's going to be a, an emotional experience. Right. It's going to be, ins- it, I'm sure the sh- shows are going to sell out immediately. Yeah. And. I don't know. It's it's gonna be. I mean, it was hard enough seeing Dwayne Gretzky, a cover band, play that song, and not to want to not want to start crying. Yeah. So I don't know. It'll be who knows how what down he's gonna do because he you know he's at the center of it all. But uh, yeah, the show's uh. There's something inspiring
0: about you know if you assume that it's like one of the places he's most happy is on stage singing and performing it's pretty inspiring that, you know, even with the news and, you know, a terminal sort of diagnosis, it's like I can go out and I can do what makes me feel alive, you know?
1: Yeah. 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 It's, uh, I, you know, I, I love it that he's doing it because, you know, if you have the energy to do it, then do it. Because otherwise you're just sitting around waiting, waiting, and sitting with your thoughts, which kind of sucks. But if you can be on stage and have some kind of release, um, but, yeah, has there any, any been anything like this? It's Don unprecedented.
0: Canada. Like, maybe Terry Fox.
1: Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, they, Terry Fox is, is a little different, though, because he became part of the public consciousness because more so after the fact or as it was happening. But he hasn't been, like, a, a character in our lives for this long.
0: It's it's an interesting thing because you read the news and you go, oh, my goodness, that's terrible. And then immediately there's, like, oh, yeah, and, you know, they're going out for a last tour.
1: You go, yeah. Wow. It's just the words, the last tour is so I depressing. know. Uh-huh.
0: But then, it, and so that's the thing, like... You know, you mentioned like uh, people are really sad when they're playing uh, Bob Cajun. And it's like, do you think the tone, what's the tone of these shows going to be? Is it going to be a celebration of life? Like it must be, right? Like yeah, it's going I, to be a I positive think thing. I think
1: it's got to be, a, it's going to be end up being a very positive, cathartic thing. Yeah. yeah I, I really hope it is. I, it's, I, don't, I think they're going to, Downey's, but I, I, I think seeing him be Downey is going to be just an emotional thing for people. Yeah. But I think ultimately it'll be a really positive thing that people are going to remember for the rest of their lives and happy that they got to experience it together, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There'll just be something so interesting in the air, you know, it's like, cause you're watching that show it's like, I'm not coming back this way again. You know, yeah. it, it really is. There's just a lot of weight. I think as, as a person, as a fan, that's uh-huh. going to be in the crowd watching. And then I can't even begin to imagine what he's being, what he'll go through every night as yeah. he goes through the process. Yeah,
1: that's, yeah. It's just a, this is, I guess that's the thing with death is it, doesn't affect just the person who's going through it. It Affects everyone around them. And in this case, it's the country of Canada. Yeah. Do you
0: know. You know when, what I mean. When you've had that much of an impact, absolutely. Yeah. Because that's what it is. It's, the story it's touches like when everybody.
1: Somebody passes and you're that's close to you. It's like it's hard for them, but it's also hard for the wife or the husband or the siblings or the kids or whatever. Which is obviously the case with Downey as well. Yes. But it's like he's got this extended sort of. He's got this extended family that yeah. love him and deeply care about him and. Don't want this to happen.
0: Well, our thoughts are with Gord, his family, and obviously And the extended family the extended of all Canada.
1: Thoughts with everybody right now because it sucks for Gord, sucks for his family, sucks for everybody who loves him. Okay, Max. Shifting gears. Yes. The yes, guest yes. on
0: the show today is Lucas Graham.
1: Yeah, the Shirtless Wonder. The Shirtless <laughs> Wonder. Can we call him that? Man. So, you said, so tell the listeners who Lucas Graham is if you
0: once I was seven years old. <laughs> You've heard the song. The song is bloody massive. Like, I, I haven't even looked. I think it's like 70 million views on yeah. YouTube, whatnot. It, this is, Lucas Graham is essentially a band, a bunch of guys who grew up together in Denmark. Uh, but their front man goes by that name now. I mean, it, is that his actual name? no his like he has a different last name and oh, lucas graham is sort of the name of their outfit but then it's kind of like his he's lucas people think of him as lucas graham but he's very clear to make it that it's a band
1: oh interesting okay
0: yeah they do huge numbers over there they've got this song which is their breakthrough song here in north america which yeah because they've been
1: playing arenas for a few years in europe
0: huge yeah um I actually hadn't heard of him when this opportunity came up. You knew the song? Yeah. Uh but I we started doing research. I actually listened to the whole album front to back. Uh, you before, love it. I actually I do. I yeah. listened to it front to back before I went to interview him. And I was like, here's this the last song on the album's called Funeral and I I really really liked that song. It's just about he wants his friends to get like drunk and be happy at his funeral, you know. And uh and you know, he's his father passed away, which was obviously a very seminal sort of moment for him. And and we talked about a lot of that stuff, but um he was an interesting guy for sure. Yeah.
1: Well it's funny because he, you know, it's it's one of this one of these things when uh someone comes into your life and you just keep seeing him over and over you see you hear the song all of a sudden every time you turn on the radio. And he was just playing at the Billboard Music Awards and it was an awesome performance, and it was very sort of like stripped down because the Billboard Music Awards is a lot of pop acts and it's yeah. like, like lighting and dance routines and stuff like that. They're just playing on a little tiny stage kind of in the middle of the crowd, and they totally slayed the performance.
0: I, I really enjoyed this interview, actually, and yeah. I really enjoyed getting to talk to this guy and getting to uh, know him a little bit. I can't wait to hear Let's get to it.
2: How you been, man? Great. How about
0: you? I'm um, well. I can't complain, you know? You've been doing a uh, press all today?
2: Mm-hmm. Started bloody f- early. Oh yeah. Yeah. What time? I think get up at seven, seven thirty. So shit. Well, it's not a bad time to get up. I, I like getting up early. The problem is when you don't get to bed early, and when you've been traveling like days on end, on end, on end, flying from Houston to Montreal, then a show the day after, then driving from Montreal to Toronto, do a show, and then get up early, and so it's just a. It's, it's a, a grind a lovely lifestyle <laughs> do you like it? do you love the touring? do you love the lifestyle? oh no I love it I love it I think people have to regard it as a lifestyle rather than job because it's playing music not working music um, mm. and I think a lot of people don't really get that fact like especially record labels funny enough so when you when you then choose people to work with like radio promoters and people who do your schedules if you can find someone that used to be in a band that's a bonus because they know how important things like lunch is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Because they've done it. Exactly. They've done the whole grind and some of them made it and decided not to be in music anyway. Too much stress, too much fame, whatever. And some of them don't make it and just want to make it comfortable for other bands that then do make it. Yeah. So it's uh, it's always, uh, we just talked about it, the good word to use about the the music industry and celebrityism is conundrum. I mean,
0: you mentioned sort of like you you, you want to play music not work music. Yeah. But do you find it difficult? Because I mean, at some point it's like you're doing it all the time every day and not everyone might be sort of exciting or the same thrill that you got when you were a teenager playing in your basement. And so then it sort of shifts into like a a work aspect. Do you find it difficult to sort of find the pleasure constantly or do you end up kind of slipping into a bit of that? This is my, you know, I gotta do this. It's reps. I'm doing it every time.
2: You can say what we're doing right now is some of the more annoying things of uh, of music is interviews, sure. interviews, photo shoots, and music videos. Those would be the three like, like not great things to do, but they're very necessary. The necessary evils to get to what you want to do. Yeah, not necessary evils. I don't like to call it an evil, uh, because on a on a good day, I'll be I won't mind at all doing eight interviews and a photo shoot, but th- then you have a bad day. And how do you how do you calculate not to have a bad day? Like nobody can have no bad days. So at the end of the day, it's about how do we within the band keep each other up when someone is down? <laughs> I'm very demanding of my environment. So if I'm happy, I'll make people happy. If I'm not happy, I will suck the living daylights out of you in ten seconds. And I don't do it on purpose. And that's the problem. I don't know exactly what I do. It's the same thing that when I go on stage, I can it, it, I can like. I can capture an entire audience, be it 500 people or 40,000 people. I can get them. Um, and sometimes you just can't switch that button on if there isn't an audience. And I think that that's the difficult thing. If there was an audience for every photo shoot and an audience for any every interview, you'd up your game. Mm-hmm. So you have to imagine cameras on, cameras on, cameras on. And, and then... You don't get the downtime in between the cameras on because then we meet all your colleagues on the way in the hallways and I can't walk around face down looking tired and dreary and then walk in and be like, hey, so this is the interview. (laughs) That's just weird. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a lot of switching on and off. Sure,
0: I mean, when you start to feel it go to that dark place, you say you can suck the energy out of, out of a room. Oh, I mean, yeah. Do, do you try to be cognizant of the fact that you're doing that and go, shit, I need to take a minute and stop? Or are you just like, no, I'm a passionate person and it's going this way, I'm no,
2: not? No, I try to not affect people with my bad mood. Um, because it's it's also weird because now we're at this place where people like actually think we're superstars. That's just f***ed <laughs> up. Um, so if I walk in the room and I'm like, I'm in a bad mood. I could have been throwing up all morning. I could have uh, gotten up too late for breakfast. Like there could be a thousand things wrong. But what you're gonna think as the interviewer? You're gonna think, "Oh my God, what a diva prick!" Here we are taking time to talk to this guy, and he's just not there. I could be have, I could be. On, I would be on flu medicine for all you know. So if I don't portray a happy camper walking in the room, I'm f- for starters. It's gonna be my because of my job, because of my fame, that I'm an asshole. Not because I had a bad day or my mom just called and uh, my childhood cat died because two dogs got in the yard. Like, do you know what I mean? Yep. So, so at the end of the day...
0: You're constantly making impressions. Oh, yeah. It and doesn't be, stop. And you're being judged to f**k. On f- you're being, a way bigger scale than anyone else. Yeah,
2: we were just talking about Justin Bieber in the last interview. I'm like, leave the kid alone. <laughs> he never had a... He didn't get to be a teenager. He's been famous since he was 13. Like, I know what it feels like not to have a childhood in one territory only in Denmark because I did movies as a kid. Yeah. Where, like, Justin Bieber, man, he was roasted so early. Everyone's taking swings at him. I'm like, he's actually doing a good job. Leave him alone. Yeah. Let him be a kid.
0: I want to get back a bit to the beginning. Um
2: Let's rewind.
0: Uh, Christiania, is yeah. how you say that, right? That was very, I mean, very well pronounced. Oh, thank you. I, I practiced it before you got here. Uh, <laughs> your work is quite autobiographical. Um, can you describe your experience growing up in Christiania and that community? Like, What was that like?
2: Christiania is a hippie commune, uh, an old army base in the center of Copenhagen that was squatted in 1971. During the 70s, the neighborhood itself threw out, pushed out all the hard drugs and junkies. So... Uh, there was only weed left in the community besides like alcohol and cigarettes. And then cannabis became part of the trade there, didn't it? Well, it was a separate thing because the area was not policed and is not policed still. Uh, it became a flourishing heroin market in the early 70s. So the neighborhood itself basically pushed out the, the hard drug uh, dealers and the junkies to make it a, a, a soft drugs market only. In the 1980s, they then pushed out the gangs and made the area where dealing weed was made they made it quite small it's one little tiny street out of several hectares like 30-40 hectares of area Hmm. I think it's huge 800 people live there it's like a big park Um, no cars no street lights no police force we have kindergarten. We have creches. We have after school clubs for kids from the like from the start primary school till they they start gymnasium. We've got sports club football team doing quite well in like the fourth or fifth league. We have concert venues going anywhere from hundred and twenty to four hundred to a thousand to. 5,000 people in this outdoor concert venue. Mm-hmm. We have a gross an organic grocery market. We have a, a building market. You can go buy anything you need to build a house. So it's a self-contained community. The only thing we don't have is schools, universities, and uh, a hospital. So you have to go away for those. Yeah, well, in it's not far away. No, it's you're... just in Copenhagen City. Yeah. Uh,
0: so, like, growing up, you've been involved in entertainment for many years. Like you said, yeah. movies as a kid. You've done voice work in movies, Um Were your parents encouraging? Was the community encouraging for the arts and creativity?
2: Um, It seems like I'm one of these uh, Mickey Mouse Club kids who's been paced from the beginning, but (laughs) when I look back, I was never pushed or paced. Um, I was supported, Um, you could say. Uh, It's so hard to explain it because it's all coincidences coming together. My uncle... Writes screenplays, movies, and uh, and theater plays, and he saw an article like he's he'll read like the the like who's who's uh, what movies and who which directors are looking for what kind of people just to be like on top of whatever he's doing himself sure. and he saw this they're looking for a dark haired, chubby kid who can talk, <laughs> around about two to three years like bang that was me I was nearly two and because I was bilingual I, I acted younger. Than I was, but I could speak fluently, but I couldn't walk. So they got what they wanted. They got a two-year-old that acted like a toddler, without I didn't walk, but I could talk. I could say things. I could make myself understood. So um, he just calls up my mom. Well, it didn't call because by that time he was living like right next to us in the same community, and like two blocks, two houses <laughs> down, not even two blocks, two doors down actually. And he just came over and knocked on the door. And was like, "Hey, uh, check this article out in Politiken, the the newspaper my family reads." Um, that's Lucas, and we went in. And when as soon as this woman, determined uh, the 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 caster, when she saw me, she just canceled all the other castings. But yeah, I started. I did those three movies and a TV series. I was done when I was like six or seven with those. When I was eight, I started uh, doing voiceovers for. TV commercials, cartoons, movies and singing in Copenhagen's boys choir when I was 8 as well professionally.
0: Um, Do you have the bug at this point though or are you like I'm I'm an entertainer like I love this work or is it sort of like just something you're doing because you're a kid?
2: No, if I opened my mouth I found out when I was like 5 or 6 if I opened my mouth and sang people listened. Huh. So I thought it was fun. It's like it works. Hey, okay, I can make people <laughs> listen. Um so I just started singing uh, and and my parents then asked me if I wanted to go and try out for this special school uh, that was the Copenhagen Boys Choir School. And yeah, they, uh, they I was like, okay, well, let's go. I like singing more than I like going to school, so why not sing and go to school? So I got into this school and became a soprano soloist, a uh, classically educated soprano soloist. So I've sung everything, Handel, Mozart, Bach, Tchaikovsky, Stravinsky, Verdi, everything, Palestrina. And um, at the age of 12, I started writing rap music. At the age of 15, 16, I start the first year of high school. I meet Mark the drummer. Mm-hmm. I meet my uh, co-writer, Don Stefano. I meet my main producer, Rizzy Rizzy. Already in the boys' choir, I met Pilo, our executive producer, the last guy to get on the team, actually. I've known him for the longest.
0: Oh.
2: <laughs> Graduating high school, 2008. Um, 2009, I go to South America. I start writing songs seven years ago, coincidentally that's so weird every time I think of it <laughs> and that um, was my first time in, in, in America as an adult as well and I'm, I'm, I live south, six months in South America one month in New York in New York I found out I wanted it to be a live band come home from New York autumn 2009 hook up with Don Stefano start writing songs early 2010 Stefano calls Mark and is like hey Mark remember Lucas from high school you had a band together me and Mark were playing folk music 10 years ago in high school so, uh, Stefano calls Mark, Mark calls Magnus, uh, the bass player, Mark is the drummer, in case I didn't say that, and, uh, and we start playing shows in, in, in 2011, 4th of May 2011, get a record deal in the summer of 2010, I think, or 2011, I don't remember, um, and yeah, it just skyrocketed back home in Denmark, and then... With after, uh, I think after we wrote seven years, just a- after I got a publishing deal in late 2012 in America, and then we got a record deal in early 2000, late 2013, started writing the record in early 2014, and now we're here. It feels
0: like, I mean, from that commercial, it too, everything's sort of gone on this amazing incline. Have you had setbacks? Has there been disappointment along the way? Or is it sort of all kind of
2: majestically worked out? It sounds wrong to say that I get what I want, um, because it sounds material. It sounds like, oh, I want that, I'll get that. And the thing is, I'll get what I want, but not at any price. Um But as far as setbacks go, I would only say my father's death was a setback. But on the other hand, if my father wasn't dead, I wouldn't have written Happy Home seven years. Mama said, you're not there. Don't you worry about me. So that's half of the album. The question is, if my father was alive, would I be a worldwide performing act? No, probably not. So nothing is so bad as not good for something. You just have to be a cynical actor asshole to also view your father's death as being a positive experience in your life because now I know I'm going to be a father one day and I know I'm going to be a damn good father because I had a perfect father so th- so it- it's like some people are like oh I'm really sad he died I'm like well it- he could have buried me too that would have been more sad I think that would have probably devastated my mom and my sisters more than losing our father yeah. you know Yeah. so it's there's a lot of different angles on it
0: of course. And, I mean, it's only when you look back that it all sort of, the tapestry all makes sense and everything comes together.
2: Well, you can always be clever in hindsight. Right. That's the, that's the easy one. Yeah. <laughs> Planning ahead is the difficult one. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, you meant, I mean, your lyrics are very reflective and sensitive when it comes to sort of life and death. Um, you know, but you also manage to celebrate life in a really refreshing way, too, with all of your lyrics. Like, yeah. Have you always had this perspective on what death means to you? Like, has it evolved... Um, I've always
2: written a lot about death.
0: It but, fascinates me. Yeah, which, your album ends with Funeral. Yeah. Which I really enjoy that track because there's something really... Sur- I mean, even though you're describing your own funeral. Actually, here's my question. Would you say that you sort of think about your own demise?
2: No, no, no. I never think about my own death. Um, And I, I think probably my father's death, the only thing it did was I realized that I will die someday. I just don't have the just doesn't really occur to me ever that it will happen. I know it's gonna happen. I, like, I'm not I'm not in that lovely utopian teenage mindset anymore that I am I'm indestructible. And I would say that's the biggest loss from my father's death besides him as a person. Where before my father died I felt like I was gonna live forever. Um I don't know how to explain it, but that's kinda how it felt. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> Now I feel like I'll live forever on stage. And when I go off stage, I realize that I'm actually a little tired. So I want to go back up and Mm. experience forever again. Um, And I forgot where we were.
0: I was asking about your thought process. You know, the song "Funeral." Do you think about your own demise? And you were saying that.
2: Well, "Funeral" came up because we were uh, we were actually trying to write that like too many deaths, too many funerals. Uh, when do we have a wedding or a yeah. baptizement or like good something? good stuff. Yeah, because in my neighborhood, we've been to more funerals, statistically, than the rest of the country. A lot of the, or at least for our age, a lot of my 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 peers have lost parents, either both or one. Um, and uh, it's tough burying so many people and not getting to see new life being brought into the world. So we tried to write that, oh, I'm sad, funeral. And then suddenly we realized, hmm, but isn't a funeral the celebration of the lost life rather than the mourning of the death? I mean, we've got eternity to mourn the dead, but we only have a small window of opportunity to celebrate the life. And in Irish Catholic culture, you have what's called the wake. Yeah. So my father died Friday night. Saturday morning, we went to the morgue, checked him out. Hi, Dad. That's you, but it's not you. You look different. Dad's gone. This is Dad's body. Great. Okay, other people know you. So we should, we were then going to, we were, you were being buried on my, on Wednesday, so we're going to put you in the house on Tuesday for 24 hours. Open coffin in a room and everyone comes by. The idea in Irish Catholic culture is that people camp outside your house from the day of death until the funeral. Uh, Well, they don't sleep there, but they show up every morning bringing gifts, food, drink, whatever. Do you need uh, cleaning? What do we need to do? What do we need to plant? Flowers for the funeral, whatever. So you have the wake. Open coffin. Everyone gets to go in and have a little uh, whiskey, and then you put one glass of whiskey on the coffin, and you drink one, and after a while you just kind of pour all the glasses into a bucket because you can't drink a dead man's whiskey right yep <laughs> <laughs> and in irish culture you put love tokens into the coffin especially the kids and i remember having to like i had to hold my friend's hands walking them in to see my dad because they'd never seen a dead person before and then you have the irish kids like my cousins of like a nine or ten little Nina crawling up like carrying a chair over and crawling up on the chair and taking in my father's hand and stroking his, like, I'm getting emotional now, but just seeing these kids being like, bye, Uncle Eugene. And you have all these grown-ups standing there, like really, like they don't want to touch it. It's like, it's just a dead body. And it's only three days ago. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just a little cold and a little tense. And I remember my mom touching my dad's arm and looking at me saying, that's how his arms felt when I met him. Like, that joy of seeing all these memories being thrown around the room, like, that's what we wanted to put in funeral, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember that my father's friends was were so wasted on the day of the wake that I had to ask them to leave. I had to be like, <laughs> oh, because there, there were, okay, so there were maybe 300 people outside my mom's house, literally. Right? There were nearly more than 1,500 people, 1,500 people at the funeral. So there were... So many people there to celebrate my father's life, and like bands came and played it's live a music thing. at the house after the funeral. And I just realized I can't write a sad song about a funeral because a funeral is not supposed to be sad. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to, yeah, cry, but crying is not necess- Crying is a symbol of love, right? Yeah. If you don't cry, you didn't love him enough, or else you're too hard, and it's easy to be hard. It's hard to be soft. Wow. Long explanation.
0: No. it's. I mean, well, it's such a fascinating... Like, my mom passed away when I was 20. And sometimes... Sorry to hear that. I, uh, you know. And I think about, you know, in these last... You know, this last decade, the things I've sort of accomplished. And I'm like, there's times... I don't think about it all the time. Sometimes I'll think, oh, I wonder what she would have thought. You know, mm. I wonder how she'd think. Do you, does that cross your mind when you're playing to 40,000 people or 5,000 people?
2: Oh, yeah. Like, I, I've got... A lot of Canadian friends. I've got more Quebecois friends than Canadian friends, and all through my father, uh, different bands touring. The Ducks from Winnipeg, guys from Edmonton Folk Festival, uh, Le Van Du Nord from Quebec, and and, like all these different bands and people. And I realized, standing in Montreal, that I should have been there with him. But that's not the way it is. And like, and just the way you answer the people, like, "Oh, my condolences." You're like, "Yeah, whatever," because you you know, oh yeah, oh yeah. it's like you're condoling for your personal sake. You're condoling just so no one can come and say you forgot to condole. Exactly. But condolences don't mean shit. Yeah, on the day of the funeral, it's nice to get a few condolences, but it's nicer to have a few drinks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, sir, I
2: believe that. And it's hard, it's really hard to explain to people how indifferent you are to their feelings about your feelings. Absolutely. I really don't care. I care about... Like, I don't know. I couldn't say ten people or a handful of people. I care about maybe two, three dozen people. I care about what they think. I couldn't care less about, like, some of my like school friends showed up for the funeral. It's like, yeah, it's fine. It's good. I've known you guys for ten years. Great. Mm-hmm. I've got boys I've known for 25, 26 years who i have, like, who've gone through everything with me. From growing up to f- riots with the police to them being in jail, me visiting them, sending them letters like my lyrics and better than yourself. And, and you just realize that most people have one, small families, two, not a lot of friends. Mm. <laughs> and it's not like it, it wasn't meant to put myself on a higher level. It's just growing up in Christiania. I still see all my guys. We're 15 boys that still have a Christmas lunch together whenever we're all home, yeah. which doesn't really happen at the moment. But Christmas Eve, we all hang out. We all see each other. After we've been with our families, all the families meet in what's called in this big hall in Denmark, in, in, in Christiania, where we, sit, we serve food to like 2,000 homeless people and people who don't have... It's called Christmas for the Christmasless. Okay. So CEOs in Armani suits come and have Christmas dinner because they're there without their families. Oh, wow. Our families are back home in Canada, America, China, wherever. And so people actually, you have homeless people sitting next to the CEO, sitting next to the porn star. Hmm. Dining, there's a present for all the kids, there's a dessert, you get roasted pork, or if you're a vegetarian, there's a vegetarian option. And all our different families, we then go there after our dinners because there's live music on until 2 o'clock at night. So we go there, have drinks, because all the money spent in the bar goes to the next year's Christmas event. Ah, Every year on the twenty-second, I used to go and do food for the people preparing for it. I used to do that with my dad, and then after he passed, I just do it with a bunch of friends. And I still do it every Cheap the year. traditional life. Yeah, they were. They wanted me to do some promo somewhere on the twenty-second this year, and I said well last this Christmas. And I said, I'm. I want. I have to be home on the nineteenth so I can be ready for the twenty-second. And they were like, "What are you doing? Some kind of charity?" And I'm like, "Yeah, actually, I am." <laughs> As a matter of fact. (laughs) I'm uh, I'm serving food for 300 people for lunch, 300 for dinner. I'm doing a vegetable soup, if you want to (laughs) know. Lamb Normandy for dinner. You know,
0: like, so in Happy Home, you talk about the importance of family, the disappointment that might come with meeting your idols. Mm -hmm. Um, With your profile gaining international recognition, how do you keep a healthy perspective on what you mean to people? You know, like you said, like, this shit's blowing up, you know, and you're, you're a huge star. You talked a bit about it as you came in, but, I mean... Does it matter to you how you're perceived by, you know, your fans or people that are looking up to you?
2: Or you know, I said no, that would be a, an arrogant answer and a lie. Um, my problem is when you have people latch on to one song like seven years and then become, oh my God, fans. Mm. Because you've listened to the whole record, I, guess, uh, I gather. Yeah. And that whole record gives you a different perspective than seven years alone. Certainly. And after hearing the record, it's, it's quite difficult, I've gathered from people. It's hard not to try and find more information to begin to understand the record a little more. So I don't like you th- this whole I love you thing. I don't like the whole... Uh, because... Okay, I'm, I'm, I really have to not sound like a dick right now. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to get to know me. You're not going to get to know me. Right. No one in Canada is going to get to know me besides my friends in Canada already. So unless you become my friend, which is difficult now we're on this bleeding pedestal level for, to some people. So if you're never going to get to know me, and this is the same for fans in Europe. If you're never going to get to know me, how can you ever love me? So basically what you're loving is a picture that you've made inside your head. And that's okay, but it's not me. And Lucas Graham doesn't exist because it's a band. It's a fiction thing. Like, the band exists, the person doesn't. My, my name is Lucas Forshammer. <laughs> right. So it's really hard for, pe- for for me to get to this level because I can see, like, people on Twitter are, like, having debates about me and stuff. And, like, someone writes something negative and then somebody who's a fan of mine is like, don't talk to him They'll about it like you. that. Yeah. I was like, why are you even defending something that doesn't exist? Lucas Graham doesn't exist. It's a figment of my imagination. I made it up. (laughs) So it's it's really hard to answer that question. I hoped... I know it's it's not possible. I hope that we can keep getting more successful, but not getting too famous. Like, we don't have our own pictures on any of our single covers or on the album cover. Um, And that's an intentional thing, to let the music be the primary point of contact.
0: So going forward, like the ambitions are to, is it to grow and sort of be able to play to the most people and have your music heard by the most, uh, you know, the largest audiences, but maintain something for yourself? Like you said, Lucas Graham is a figment of your imagination. It's a, it's a performance. The it's- only
2: thing that's, changes is it, it, that's changing right now is people's perception of us. Um, and hopefully that's, that's going to keep go- going that way because we've known each other for 10 years. So we can keep being us by reminding each other to not be dicks. It's usually the guys reminding me since I'm the front man. (laughs) Yeah. I get a lot of attention. I get a lot of pressure. So I lash out once in a while and I become the not good person. Like we talked about just coming in. You have to show a good face. Hi. Hi sometimes, some days you just don't want to be the smiley guy. I mean, I grew up in a neighborhood where the, 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 the police would harass you coming home or going to school. The, lo- the kids from your school and the, well, the teachers would blame you for everything going wrong. The press is right and wrong shit. The news is talking about how your neighborhood is dangerous. When in fact you have the lowest violence count in the inner city, which does count for something. So you, you, you become this scared, angry person. You're because you're afraid that the government is going to kick you out of your house when you're a kid. You become angry then because you don't want to look afraid because you're already the underdogs. You become angry to look strong, which is a complete mix match of, of whatever you're going to achieve. Um, so my problem is if I am on a bad day, I become a monster. Mm. And I am not a nice person at the bottom of my pit. Um, if I get too much of my, my angry side, my teenage side, my riot with the police Molotov cocktail to your face side, I'm going to have to isolate myself. And today is going to be one of those days. When I get back to the hotel today, I'm not going to leave my room again because I'm going to need some time to not talk with people. And, and, and I find that's the, the, the best thing about this band. that we've, been, we've known each other so well that when someone says, I'm taking a day off, everyone's like, great. Uh, we're going to do this and this. Text me if you need an address. And it's like, okay, cool. Everything, Everyone's fine with it. Today it's my turn. And uh, sometimes it's the other guy's turn to uh, like pull the plug. <laughs> Go recharge and come back ready. <laughs> yeah, because it is. This is work. When, and then when we tour, we play music. And because everything is moving so quickly, we're going to have to do promo and shows and writing songs at the same time and not just promo in one country but all over the world and to us this is a new thing well
0: thank you for your time man now thank you i really appreciate it all right welcome to the dessert uh this is a very special dessert today because one max isn't here he's in calgary he's doing some band thing but uh the reason this is a special dessert is because we are actually not recording this in our normal sort of pod setup. We're at the the Much slash Bell Media building at 299 Queen Street West, and we're in an actual studio. And I'm here with our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane, what's going on?
3: Uh, nothing. Uh, this is the weirdest. Yeah, uh, the setup we have right now <laughs> is the weirdest setup we've ever done. It's almost like uh, that art piece where the the woman stares at the all the people who come in or the Shia LaBeouf thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm just like sitting across from you on a bench, very close, staring at you in a sound booth.
0: Uh, we're we're in a tiny sound booth. Shane is on a stool sitting. I'm standing up, and we're both talking into the same mic.
3: I don't know. This is the closest we've ever done the pod. But uh, the reason that I actually we are doing this is because I missed Max's text <laughs> because it was kind of funny. I was on um I was on Instagram, just going through it. And all of a sudden I see this like big fat blimp in a pool and I'm like, what the f***? And I'm like, oh my God, that's me. (laughs) It would just float because I gotta show you the picture This doesn't translate at all So
0: for some context, Max and I recorded the start of this pod uh, Yesterday or the day before Before Max had to fly to Calgary And he was texting Shane to get Shane over to my place So that we could do this end piece Shane did not respond to Max So we just went ahead without him And now Shane and I are in a small
3: booth Doing the dessert together Okay, but even though this doesn't translate on a pod I want to show you well, how you would feel okay if all of a sudden you saw this picture on an Instagram feed okay <laughs> <laughs> who posted this my sister <laughs>
0: Like, you look, can you describe that photo? Okay, so for our listeners, Shane is in an above-ground pool, and he's floating on, like, a floaty device, and his fiance Alex, is she's got her leg. They're kind of connected, but it's just an unflattering
3: angle. Like, how fat do I... Do I look gross in that photo? No, you look fine. It's just an unflattering leg. Like, your legs look nice. It's the worst photo I've ever seen of myself. So instantly yell at my sister for posting she it. loves putting up bad photos of me it's her thing it honestly is it's like a sadistic thing <laughs> she likes to do i swear it is and so i'm like F- this shit yeah. i'm uh, i'm going on a three-hour walk
0: you were that perplexed and disturbed by this photo that you went on a walk
3: and while i was on the walk i missed a bunch of max texts i actually bumped into max and he and while I was walking and he's like, I've been texting you for three hours. And by the time I got walked back up the mountain, it was too late and I missed our opportunity to f- pod. But yeah,
0: we're potting here. We're trying new things. Yes. And this is this is weird. Did you see did you, did you see anything? You must have watched a movie.
3: What, what if I have no television? I haven't <laughs> moved into my place. I don't move in till tomorrow. I have no TV. I'm trapped at my fiance's place and her parents were always watching TV. Really?
0: Do you feel uncomfortable about trying to get on the TV when they're on it?
3: Uh, yeah. And uh, sometimes I'll uh, I'll leave like a plate that <laughs> like I'll, I'll get tired and I'll eat a little late night snack because they go to bed at like 10. So <laughs> I was eating like nachos and then I left my plate. Like at, w- when I lived at home, I'd always leave my plate and f- clean it in the morning. But then sometimes I'll like wake up and I'll hear Alex getting yelled at for like, you left up Plate downstairs. And then I'm like, oh, shit, that was me. But (laughs) do you let her take the heat? She takes the heat. Because she doesn't want to say, like, Shane did that. Right. And then, like, what are they going to do? Yell at this 33-year-old dude (laughs) living in their place? But I guess the thing, I didn't see any movies. I got a tattoo. I got a new tattoo. I saw this on uh, Snapchat. Yeah. And uh, I put it on Instagram also. But, uh, yeah, I got a tattoo with Alex's name. It says Alexandra on it that's a, that's a, that's that's commitment. Yeah, and they kind of fucked it up cuz would you say that looks like a heart with Alexandra's name in it or would you say that looks like an apple?
0: <laughs> it looks like a heart. It's just yeah. that little hole that's that's kind
3: of yeah. It was like a 65-year-old woman. It was the only one open. So, you got this tattoo and then you came over to my place Saturday nights and people were over. Mm-hmm. So, you and your fiance came over and we were all giving her the gears because she didn't get your name tattooed on her. No, it's weird cuz she has um some Japanese symbols on her back, which is kind of <laughs> not her lower back, but yeah, that's kind not of Not that there's anything wrong with it. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't want her to get No, I'm I'm not super into chicks with or uh ladies with tattoos. <laughs> but it was funny like people's reaction to this. It's like, "Oh, that's so permanent." Like uh, uh, I think uh Alex was like, "Oh, Danica went up to me, uh, your fiance?" Yeah. and said, "Uh, wow, that's just so permanent." But it's funny um because the frivolous nature of how people view marriage versus right. a tattoo. Yeah.
0: Because
3: she's my fiance. We're getting married. In theory, that's forever. <laughs> no, it has a 50% divorce rate. Right. But the tattoo's got a 100% chance of leaving a mark on you. Oh, look at this. See where it says Alex? Yeah. I black that shit out. <laughs> then I put mom <laughs> in white writing. Yeah, but that's um, that's what I got going on. I got Drake's dad possibly in a arkell's music video coming up next week so for our
0: listeners shane and our friend mark myers are directing the new arkell's video it's called drake's dad um we're
3: allowed to talk about this i think i think so yeah yeah. but yeah i'm going to memphis for a week but i might get drake's dad for the shoot this is exciting yeah so so what do you need to happen in order to get drake's father in your music video We have the same producers, some of the same people who produce the Worst Behavior video. Oh, so you got the connect there, and maybe he'll show up and be in it. Yeah. If not, we're going to have to find, like, a... A lookalike? A lookalike with a mustache, yeah. I am available. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's all. That's our episode.
1: Yes. Uh, thank you for tuning in. You can find us online at Mike on Much. That's for both Instagram and Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends. And honestly, uh, you know, whenever we see anybody kind of commenting on the show, you know, showing they've listened, we saw on an Instagram comment thing the other day, that like, oh, that guy, that's the guy who... Uh, Have you th- listened to Max's podcast? Yeah, do you listen yeah. to the podcast? It's like, so we, we really, truly get a kick out of that. So... Uh, any and all feedback is really welcome and we appreciate you sharing the pod and telling your friends about it absolutely
0: the michael much podcast is produced by max kerman and i am your host mike veerman see you next week if we do not die on the weekend